In today's show, we're here to look back on the 2020-2021 NBA season for the Detroit Pistons. Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and at Yahoo Sports Australia. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit RockAuto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. So again, we're looking at the Detroit Pistons today, how the season went for them, recapping the players, what it means for next season, the future, dynasty value, their off-season, all of that sort of stuff. So let's crack in right away. The first thing we want to look at is what did the Pistons season look like? Well, they were 20-52, and 52. objectively horrific. They were six wins under their expected win-loss record based on their net rating. So you know, one of the most unlucky teams in the NBA. So perhaps they aren't as bad or they weren't as bad as that record would suggest. Obviously, there was some pretty aggressive tanking down the stretch there as well. So this is not a team that was the second worst in the NBA. Obviously, they were because that's what their record was. But in terms of the level of play and the quality of roster, they weren't quite that bad. And you can see by looking, they had the 26th ranked offense, fine. But they had the 16th best defense. Which, and I know I give a lot of shit to Dwayne Casey, rightfully so, but for him to get this team to defend that well is a real credit to him, and maybe that's part of the reason why they extended him as a coach. Now, I am very much of the thought process when looking at coaches. If this guy isn't going to be a good coach, or doesn't have the potential to be a good coach, or a player that get, a coach that gets us further in the playoffs, you know, past that first round, then why are we bothering? Why are we letting someone develop other players who another coach will then take further? I'd rather just take the... We've seen what Dwayne Casey does. We've seen what he does in Detroit. He has maddening decisions at times. And while this is a positive for him, um, I just think it's not the long-term, especially extending him, it's not the long-term move that you make. Pretty slow team. 22nd in pace, 97.9 possessions per game. So not the fastest and not the most fantasy-friendly in that respect. In fact, this year they had just two players who were top 100 guys um, and no top 50 players, which is obviously uh, relatively rough. They've got pick number two, perhaps, depending on the, the highest, also second in the lottery order, so they can fall down to six. And they have three second rounders. 37 is a pretty good second rounder. 42 is not bad. 51 is pretty rough. But that pick 37 can be valuable. And of course, they can pick anywhere between one and uh, one and six in the first round. So yeah, a few things uh, could be really, really important for them. That draft lottery, which is happening in a month or so, is going to be very, very important for this team. They drew a lot of free throws. I think a lot, a lot of that is to do with the way that uh, Mason Plumley gets defended. He draws quite a few free throws as well. But they bet, they didn't take any threes. In the bottom third of NBA teams in terms of uh, taking threes, um, 21st in attempts per game. But three-point attempt rate was 16th just because they play so slowly. Their free throw rate, again, really good. 27% uh, free throw rate is, is a really solid number there too. And um, defensively, they didn't uh, they didn't give away many fouls. Sorry, 
they didn't get fouled a, a huge amount of. I don't know what I'm looking at. They got fouled fifth most times in the NBA. That's what I'm trying to say. So my brain is completely uh, all over the place. But they interestingly they gave up the second most three pointers per game out of any team, and the most three point attempts out of any team. So you're giving up a lot of threes. Those high volume 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 and vo- value shots. I can't speak today. Um, is a little bit of a troubling thing. And um, yeah, they still were able to defend well despite that. But that is something that they uh, they did. Let's look at um, off-season. We'll talk about the draft stuff later on, probably more after the lottery is done, but they've got a chance there again for a really good prospect. They, You, you can't look at their team and say that there's guys that they you're avoiding. Like You're not avoiding Jalen Green or Suggs or Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley or Jonathan Kaminga. You're just taking who it is. Oh, but Killian Hayes, they just drafted. Oh, but they've got Jeremy Grant. Oh, but yeah, Alf Stewart played well. It don't, doesn't matter. You just take whoever the best player is in that position at that draft pick. In terms of free agency, MC Hamadou Diallo, who they got in that trade for Svima Hailuk, uh, he's a restricted free agent. Dennis Smith's a restricted free agent. Almost no chance that they're tendering that offer. I think Smith's offers like 16 million a year or something like that. Um, maybe they can sign him to a lower deal, but he came, he played a couple of games and then just didn't play again. Frank Jackson, unrestricted free agent. The Duke Wayne Ellington, unrestricted free agent. I would hope that they don't bring back Wayne Ellington because it will mean that Casey can't play him over guys that need those minutes. And Saban Lee, a restricted free agent, who they will definitely bring back. So I think they were pretty impressed with what he was able to do this year. They'll bring Frank Jackson back, would be my guess. And I think they'll bring Diallo back, even though I think he is a significantly overrated player. Corey Joseph's got a $12.6 million contract for this year, but it is non-guaranteed partially. Same as Scooter Magruder's $5 million for this year. Um, they would be wise, and we've seen uh, your mate Troy Weaver use that stretch provision like, I don't even know, like he was taking a piss, he used it that often. But will he you know, just actually use the provisions in the salary cap to you know, non-guarantee these guys so that, again, Casey's not playing 30 minutes of Corey Joseph and you know, tempted to put Roddy Magruder out there. These We can move on from those guys and get developmental minutes into your Killian Hayes, Frank Jackson, Saban Lees, J- Josh Jacksons. Hamadou Diallo's, and perhaps a guard that's picked in the top six of this draft. So we'll see what they do there. But there is a chance that Joseph, Allington, and Magruder may not be on this roster, which I think we'd have to view as a positive for the development of this franchise as we move forward. Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. Researched and developed for three years to be made for people and not patients, Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in three flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. Lucy also has a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine that come in three flavors, cherry ice, citrus, and mint. And just on that, it frustrates me as a uh, as a registered pharmacist, not that I work as a pharmacist, but as a registered pharmacist, when people say that word lozenge as a lozenger. It is not a lozenger. It is a lozenge. Anyway, Lucy lozenges and gums are FSA and HSA eligible. So you can use your FSA cards to purchase Lucy now. It's convenient and discreet and products can be enjoyed anywhere, on flights at work, on the go, or even in the gym. So if you are someone who is a smoker and you're looking for a cleaner nicotine alternative, 
Lucid could be the product for you. Now, I know that these sort of things, again, as a registered medical professional, I know that these sort of things can really, really work and that those flavors sound absolutely delicious. It's 2021. Get rid of your cigarettes, unplug your vape, throw out your dip and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. This is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month. It's so simple and you don't have to leave your house because Lucy has delivery down. Lucy lozenges and gums are also FSA and HSA eligible. You can spend your pre-tax dollars on them and locked on NBA network listeners, you can go to Lucy.com. Co, C-O, and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA to get 20% off all products on your first order, including gum or lozenges. That's lucy.co, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA at checkout. Also, I have to give this disclaimer. Warning, this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Lucy.co, and be sure to use that promo code LOCKEDONNBA. RockAuto.com, you are looking for parts for your car? Why would you go to a local chainsaw? That's, that's the thing of the past, my guys. They're not only going to be frustrating in terms of dealing with them, getting to the store, getting them to order the parts, but they're going to charge you an arm and a leg. RockAuto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Then, best of all, the prices at RockAuto.com are always reliably low, and they are the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all of the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, RockAuto.com. All right, let's talk about the first player on the Detroit Pistons list, and that is Jeremy Grant. 54 games played for Grant, almost 34 minutes a game. Now, he came in, and we had him as a nice sleeper and an ADP of 104. He beat that number, and he was playing a shit ton of minutes to begin the year, like 35, 36. I didn't think there was any way he'd play that much or be that good, and he was in top 30 for big stretches of the season. Uh, And then the wheels fell off in a huge way, like a massive, massive way that we saw those wheels fall off. And he ended up 76th. But the way that he started out the season was unbelievable. And to be honest, the second half of the year, he was basically a replacement level player. And then we had that fake knee injury that caused him to miss pretty much all of April and May. Uh, It was a pretty rough ride at the end. Grant did average 35 fantasy points per game, which was 59th. He was 76th in category leagues. And his best category was scoring 22 points per game. Now, I hated the signing from Detroit. I, not that I think that Jeremy Grant couldn't have been worth $20 million. I just don't know why Detroit would pay him $20 million. But for him to go out and score 22 points per game is very impressive. Again, the, the um, efficiency was a problem. Just 56% true shooting. He shot 35% from three, and that dipped significantly. Under five rebounds as a power forward is bad. 2.8 assists is not ideal. 0.6 deals is shit house. The 1.1 blocks are good, so he got those back up, and he did hit th- two threes per game. So I think it was a pretty mixed bag. His best category was his points. His worst category was his field goal percentage. In the end, his advanced numbers were, were okay. Plus 0.5 in EPM, which is 72nd percentile. That's not a bad number. In terms of on the Pistons, for guys who play the regular rotation minutes, he was second in the Raptor rating at 0.7 behind uh, Alf Stewart in terms of the LeBron metric, which if you don't know what LeBron is, go to bballindex.com. It's their all-in-one metric. The ones I use here, EPM, Raptor, and LeBron are probably the three best, now that PIPM is not available, the three best all-in-one metrics that we can use. He was a 0.20 for LeBron, which was behind, marginally behind Mason Plumley, and then marginally behind, or no, significantly behind Dylan Wright, who, of course, didn't end the season on this team. But he put up some good numbers defensively because he had to carry such a load offensively. We saw that drop off from Grant. He just turned 27, so he's still in his prime. 
And you know, regardless of what they do in the draft, Grant is still going to have at least one year, uh, probably two, of being this guy that we can look at as a pretty solid option. I'm a little worried as to where his value is in terms of ADP, but I can actually see him being a better option next season. Why? Because I'm not sure that he'll have so much of a second half downturn that we saw from him if they get better players in. If they've got someone else to take attention away, maybe that 29% usage goes to 27. But what we'd be looking at is the 43 field goals pushing to 46. And that's probably where that value is going to come. He's not a good rebounder. He's not going to be this huge assists or steals or massive blocks guy. But getting that efficiency back up while maintaining great free throws on high attempts, there is some value, I think, in at least in the next two years. After that, I'd be pretty hesitant about looking at him as a top 70 player, but I reckon he can I reckon he can sneak the top 50. His ADP is going to be very curious for next season. Let's look at Mason Plumley, who played, amazingly, more games than Jeremy Grant this year. 27 minutes per night. Now, he was an absolute steal in drafts. He averaged 10 and 9 with 3.6 assists, only 0.9 blocks and 0.8 steals but 62 from the field, 67 from the line. So big value in his rebounds, big value in his field goal percentage, really solid in assists and pretty nice block numbers. In points leagues, he averaged 30 fantasy points, which was good for 81st. In category leagues, he was 95th, and that was really dragged down by the free throw percentage. So punting free throws, we're talking you know, top 70 or so. And he was drafted at 141. A guy that we looked at and go, well, he's going to have to play minutes at center. And we've seen him put up good fantasy numbers. Do I think he's a very good player? No, but this team's not a very good team. And we did see, rightfully so, him lose minutes down the end of the season with fake injuries and rests. I'm not tired. Um, and that yeah, obviously impacted his overall numbers. His EPM was basically neutral, zero. 66th percentile, that is, but you know, he was really consistent in that metric over the course of the season. His Raptor wasn't quite as good, and defensively, he had some issues there, negative 1.5 on that end, but again, he led the team in terms of players who ended on the roster in, in their LeBron, but he is 30, so what's the point? Sorry, he's 31. What's the point of Mason Plumley on this team? I think that's the good question. He signed for two more years, fully guaranteed $8 million a year. It's not a huge amount. It's not massive, but it's still there for two more years, taking him through to age 33. What is the point? Will Dwayne Casey have the balls to put Alf Stewart in ahead of him? This is the real question. I think undeniably that he should. I think there is also a risk that he doesn't. Will Plumley be a guy that cracks the top 100 next season? Almost definitely not. And I don't think he ever has a top 100 season again. So we're looking at him for dynasty value. He won't be, I don't think, a draftable player. But if Casey, being the shithouse coach that he is, decides opening night, no, we're starting Mason Plumley and playing him 32 minutes a night, then you grab him and you go, let's ride this shit out. Or if we get an inclination, that's what he's going to do. But if I'm determining your value in advance from here and making keeper decisions, I really don't think that's going to be. The, and if, if it is, I think that might last half a year before Stewart fully rests control of that uh, of that starting position. Best category was his rebounds, and his worst was the fact that he didn't hit a single three this season. Let's go on to the next guy. It is Alf Stewart, the Flaming Galar. Is that you, Mr. Stewart? Well, who the hell else do you think it'd be? Get in here, you pair of Flaming Galars. 68 games played, 21 minutes a night only for Isaiah Stewart. Um, 
21 or 22 fantasy points per game, which is 175th, 150th in category leagues, but that's playing 21 minutes a night. He wasn't drafted, of course, so didn't have an ADP. So we know that he can be better. He averaged 8 and 7 for the year, 0.3 triples, 1.3 blocks and 55%, 70 from the line. He shot 33% from three, a 60% true shooting is a really good number on low usage as well. But let's look what he did over the last 10 games. 28 minutes, 11 and 7. He hit a three. He had 2.3 blocks. Now, his efficiency did fall off because he just couldn't hit his threes, down to 26%. I think that's part of the worry there. And the other interesting thing is he went from shooting 0.9 threes per game. Well, actually, let's look at it on a per 36 basis. For the season, he was at 1.6 threes per 36. Over the last 10 games, he was up to 4.6. So basically tripling his three-point attempt rate. And doing that while shooting 26% is a little bit worrisome. Like, is you know, what is causing you to start, ta- even though you're shooting worse, why are you taking more of them? Defensively, I thought he held up really well. He's a huge, high-effort player. He's only 6'9", which is a bit of a worry. Um, the fact that, as a player that he is, he still only took you know, a, um, a small amount of shots at the rim, 62, 62nd, 62nd percentile of shooting at the rim. Yeah, we'd like him to do that a little bit better. He shot his mid-range unbelievably well, 48% from mid-range, which gives you some cause for maybe that falls off somewhat. Now, I'd be concerned there, but he did really improve as the season went on. Um, his Raptor was strong, plus 1.4, the best out of every player who played you know, significant minutes. His LeBron wasn't too bad, negative 3.8. As a 19-year-old center, it's fine. It's really good, in fact. Um, and averaging what he did, interesting, he didn't block a single shot in his, uh, oh, sorry, that's not true. Ignore that statement completely. He averaged eight and seven with 1.3 blocks, so really good numbers. There's enough here for me to look at Stewart and say, yeah, there is some real value that could be coming. 72nd player over the last month of action, in large part because of the good blocks, the scoring went up, the field goal percentage dipped because of that weird three-point situation I talked about already. But I think he should be starting. I think he can have top 50 seasons. But do I view Isaiah Stewart as a center of the future? No. Can he be a solid center? Maybe. Let's put it in these terms. If he has a career like Mason Plumley, I think that's a good result. And that's not to denigrate either guy. I just don't think that he can ever push to be a Jokic, an Embiid, a Towns, a Bam, any of those guys. Maybe he can. I just think there are too many limitations on his game. So like a few of these rookies, they were pushed into a situation, especially late, where they had every opportunity to succeed, and they did to a degree. But does that push their dynasty value too high? I think I'd be inquiring about it. I'd be listening to offers if I have Elf Stewart to see what people want to give up for him. Because I think that you know, while I think he will be a starting center as early as next season and probably can be a three, four, five-year NBA starter, where does it go? Can he actually push higher? And does he ever become a guy where teams go, well, we can't upgrade from him? And I don't think that's going to be the case for Isaiah Stewart. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all that action at Bet Online as well as the NBA playoffs. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including Major League Baseball, the NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC, MMA action. For the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. If you use our promo code Locked On, you can sign up today and receive a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online are your online sportsbook experts. 
Let's go on to the next guy here. It is another rookie, the depressed penis, Sadiq Bay. 70 games played, 27 minutes per night. Didn't play, I think, it was the first two games of the season. He was a DNP CD and then came in and was the starter as soon as Blake Griffin was sat down. 27 minutes a night is probably a little lower than we anticipated for him, especially given that role that he had for big chunks of the year. Um, Bay averaged 12 points, two and a half threes with 4.6 rebounds, 0.7 steals, 0.2 blocks, 40 and 84 is his percentages. He averaged 22 fantasy points, 176th per game, 168th in category leagues, wasn't drafted. His best category was his 2.5 threes and his worst was his shooting. Now, Bay is one of those guys, again, I didn't particularly love the pick there. Um, Did he probably exceed my expectations? Yeah, I'd say so. But when we talk about Sadiq Bay, what did he do that was good? And from a fantasy point of view, again, what, what did he do was, was good? He hit threes, and, and that, is, that is good. He hit them at 38%. He came in as a really good three-point shooter out of Villanova, and we saw him do that in the NBA. That, that's really good. But what else does he do? Under five boards, under one and a half assists, 0.7 steals and 0.2 blocks, putrid. 40% shooting. Horrible. Now, to begin the year, he was at like 80% from two and 10% from three for like four weeks. I mean, okay, that's weird. And then that completely reversed course and those numbers change. And he had this nice little peak in February and these numbers did start to dip. Now, I think he was still a relatively strong player. He um, His mid-range shooting was horrendous. 34% from mid-range is bad. His passing is not good at all. And his defensive stats were well below average. And his EPM was a negative number. On Raptor, he was a big negative, a negative 3.2. The only rotation players who were worse than him were, was Killian Hayes, who was had horrific numbers. Um, and Bay, Bay's LeBron was a negative 2 as well, which is fairly poor. Like, so while it looks spectacular when he goes out there and sets rookie records for multiple threes in a game and hits eight of them in a game, and that's this is all stuff that happened. It was all very true. That's great to be able to do that. Um, but, you know, does it does it does it portend for fantasy greatness? I would say probably not. The concerns I had with him as a player coming out of Villanova is like they Villanova tailored everything to him offensively. So did you just get every ball, every usage, and that was never going to be his role in the NBA. And as a low-usage player who struggles in his two-point shooting, like what is he bringing outside of being a three-point specialist? This is not to say he can't improve, because he can. He is already 22. So while that's not particularly old, he's six months younger than Hamadou Diallo. He is... Um, where else is he? He's one year younger than Frank Jackson. He's two years older than Sekou Dumbaya. Right, so he's not the youngest player out there. He can still get better for sure. He can still get a usage up to 22%. Maybe he's at 19 this year. And that 40% field goals will almost definitely move up to 45, 46 maybe. But what does everything else do? And the 27 minutes will go up. We're no problem with that. And he's going to be a draftable player next year. And he's going to have a starting spot pretty much locked down, you would think. Unless they draft a Jonathan Kaminga, then is it Grant or Bay that goes to the bench? probably Kaminga to start the season, given Dwayne Casey, but that's that's the worry for him, is that he, again, could be a little overvalued, I believe. Let's look at Joshy Jackson, who was uh, Sheaf, 
a surprise to be sure, but a welcome one. 62 games played, 25 minutes a game. I didn't really understand them bringing him in. Uh, he did have some good moments at times for Memphis, especially in the G League, but yeah, it's still in the NBA. I'm not convinced that he is a solid enough rotation player to be someone you rely upon. Now, the Pistons don't really seem to care about that because they're not good enough to care about whether players are reliable or not. But he's still got too many minutes in my mind. 24 points per game of Yahoo. 143rd. He was 190th in category leagues. His best category actually was his blocks at 0.8, and his worst was his 42% shooting. He averaged 13, 4, and 2. 0.8 blocks on 42 and 73, including 30% from 3. So another horrendously poor shooting year. 51.5 true shooting on 27 usage. And, and then when you see those numbers pushed together, second highest usage on the team with one of the worst shooting numbers on the team, it again ties into what are you doing? Like, well, what, what, what are you actually doing there on the court? His EPM was fairly bad. Offensively, he's a real problem. Negative 1.6. True shooting 52, as I mentioned. Three-point shooting, mid-range shooting, all fairly horrific. His passing numbers are all right. His LeBron number, negative 0.99. He's, that's okay, I guess. It's nothing super spectacular. His Raptors at negative 0.2, which is all right. Defensively, he's fine. But I think you know this 25 minutes a night that he played... Again, with a high chance of a, of a guard coming in here, not and your Diallo maybe being preferred. I'm not. And Jackson's only 24, but he's on his third team. I'm not really sure where it all goes from here. He is contracted again for one more year uh, at five million dollars, but I think that these rankings, 143rd, 190th in points and cats, might be the highest that he gets to in a while. I just, I, I just didn't see enough for him for me to get excited. Let's talk about Corey Joseph, who um, played too much. 63 games, 23 minutes, eight points, two and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, one steal, 47 and 82. So okay in terms of efficiency, but shot 34% from three, 56 true shooting. He averaged 19 fantasy points, which is 223rd. He was 201st in categories. His best category was his steals, and his worst was his rebounding. But of course, down the stretch, they started playing him just an absolutely ridiculous amount of minutes. Because, again, when you are an NBA coach and your fallback is, I used to coach this guy and our team was good, so maybe I should play him over anything that makes sense. I think you're in trouble as, as a coach and where your team is headed. I think that's that's a real problem. And people say, well, you know, he knows you can trust him. What Trust him to do what? Be bad? Because that's what Corey Joseph's been throughout his career. A guy that gives the impression of being a good defender but doesn't defend all that well, that can't really pass and is a subpar shooter, but goes out there and fake hustles. And that feels like I'm shading Corey Joseph because I am. But he just seems to get the, the mentality of the coaches. Oh, he's super hard. He's super hard at it. But why? Is he actually good? Not really. Negative 2.6 EPM is a really poor number. His negative 1.29 Raptor is really poor. It's worse than Josh Jackson's. So that was his LeBron. His Raptor is a negative 0.7 as well. And I, they shouldn't be guaranteeing his $12 million for next year because he is going to come in and cut the minutes of Diallo, of Hayes, of Lee, of Frank Jackson, maybe Josh Jackson, and maybe the rookie as well. He's about to turn 30, Corey Joseph, and he will not be a draftable player next season. Killian Hayes. Let's talk about Hazy. Um, I was very high on Killian Hayes heading into the draft. I would have picked him in the top three, top two. And the way he played this year was shithouse. There's no denying that. He only played 26 games, 26 minutes a game. 
And someone told me the reason he got injured is because he wasn't NBA ready or not an NBA caliber player, which is one of the stupidest things that I've heard on Twitter. And that is an absolutely very high bar to cross. He got injured because he's not an NBA caliber player. Cool. Anyway, Hayes sucked. Like he was horrendous before the injury. And then he came back and I thought he looked all right. The numbers won't particularly give you that. Seven points, three rebounds, five assists, one steal. 36% shooting is horrendous. 82 from the line is nice, even though he never gets there. And 28% from three is, is absolutely shitful. He's still not 20. So lots of room for growth there. And we talk about that like he's two and a half years younger than Sadiq Bey. His numbers are really bad. Negative 5.7 EPM. That's third percentile. True shooting of 43%, first percentile. Shooting at the rim. 44%, second percentile. Assists, really good. 30% assist rate, really good. Turnovers, unfortunately, first percentile. 29% of his possessions were a turnover. But he did improve as the season went on. And I thought he showed some flashes. His Raptor, horrible. Negative 8.3. His LeBron, negative 3.45. Really, really bad. I would look at Hayes as a guy. Uh, if we look at these numbers there, like, 220th in category leagues, 221st in points leagues, averaging almost 19 Yahoo points per game. But he averages over five assists per game in 26 minutes. And that's the number you should be looking at. The shooting is a huge concern. But I will happily take Killian Hayes in the last round of my drafts next year. We'll see what happens in the offseason, but the way things sit, he should come in as the starting point guard. And I'm getting real Darius Garland type vibes from him, who took that full season as a point guard, developed. And yeah, looked really good in his second year. I'm not saying Hayes is even going to be anywhere near as efficient as Ed Garland because he's not that good of a shooter. But his vision is already there. Defensively, I think he's really good. Um, and the offense needs to come around. So he, at this point, is priming to be a very, very strong late round pick. And I still, look, if I, I am going to do a redraft of 2020 and I probably won't have Hayes at number two. Spoiler, spoiler warning. But I am still pretty high on him. And I think he can still have top 50 fantasy seasons in the next, you know, probably in the next six years, he can have two top 50 years would be my guess. So a real dynasty by low moment. Let's look at Dennis Smith Jr. If we have to, um, again, he was a guy that I was really wrong on in the, his draft year. He's been a constant disappointment. He had some moments in Detroit, negative 0.5 EPM. Not horrible. Led the team in Raptor. Plus 3.5, because defensively, he was unbelievably good this year somehow. I don't know where that came from. His LeBron was pretty good, again, with a positive defensive number there. Smith averaged only 18 minutes in 23 games, but seven points. But he averaged a steal and 0.6 blocks in 18 minutes, which is really good. Now, much like Josh Jackson, he's bad at field goals and bad at free throws, 40 and 73, and hit 32% of his threes. And I'm not sure that's going to change. But his ability to get steals and blocks were impressive. He actually had a triple-double this year. Showed some flashes. But again, the knee injury cost him the rest of the season. You have to be really concerned about where he is as a player in his career. And he is, as I mentioned, a restricted free agent um, coming up here with a, with a pretty large qualifying offer that he has to deal with. Um, I, yeah, my, my faith in him is, uh, is shot. Let's look at MC Hamadou Diallo. 52 games played, 24 minutes, 23 fantasy points per game. And you see the big discrepancy. 155th in points leagues, 260th in category leagues. Why is that? He averaged 12 and 5 
So his two best categories really were the two high volume categories, and that's what translates to points leagues. Half a three a game, under two assists, 0.8 steals, 0.5 blocks, 48 from the field and 64 from the line. So some really big negatives there. His best category was that 48 from the field as a guard, which is strong. The worst is his 64 free throws. A guy that gets significantly and consistently overrated by people, even in the fantasy community as well. Man, we've got to take flies on Hamadou Diallo, and he's literally never shown that. Advanced numbers, negative 2.5, like shithouse again. He did have that issue with COVID and contract tracing, which cost him some games and a groin injury, which did hurt him. And he had some solid moments in OKC, especially when he was put into a position where he could be the lead ball handler. Now, under no circumstance do you ever want that to be the case on a team where Hamadou Diallo is your lead ball handler. But the Thunder were forced into that at one point this year. He is a guy, again, that I just think other people have significantly higher opinions on than I do. He still hasn't turned 23, so I'm not completely giving up on him. But I think best case scenario, absolute best case, he is a seventh man. And maybe could be a top 150 category league player, maybe a top 120 points league player, but I really don't buy into it at all. Let's look at the Duke Wayne Allenson. 46 games played, 22 minutes a game. There was a point this year, which you may or may not remember, where Dwayne, Dwayne, not Dwayne, Wayne Allenson was a must roster player. Because amazingly, after starting the year with an injury, your mate, Dwayne Casey, said, nah, look, you know what? We're a shit team. We're rebuilding. Let's start the, uh, how old is he? Let's start the 33-year-old Wayne Ellington um, who does nothing but shoot threes. And I understand the veteran presence that he has and his ability to space the floor significantly better than Josh Jackson, which does open up stuff for other people. So I, I do get that to a degree. Um, and another reason why. You know, chasing threes with later picks is not the right move in fantasy. He had 2.5 threes a game. Didn't do too much else. But if you, if you want threes, you can get them off the juke. He was in uh, an absolutely neutral 0.0 EPM. He's just a you know, consistent guy, usually. But his LeBron was bad. His Raptor was pretty good. was, an, again, a zero. But he was inconsistent with his level of play. He started out on fire and then fell away completely and then had some moments, again, of shooting well. But he can be all over the place. As a non-guaranteed contract who's going to be almost 34 when the season starts, I don't really see the point of him on this team, and I think his fantasy value is pretty limited. Let's look at Frank Jackson, who again had some really good moments at the end of the year. He played 40 games, 19 minutes a game, averaged 14 fantasy points per game, 326. He was 329th in category leagues, but he's one of those guys who goes out there and he scores. And you go, hey, Frank Jackson, he can't miss. And that can be true. He does nothing else, like absolutely nothing. This is a guy who is a point guard and averaged 0.9 assists in 19 minutes. Like that is unfathomably bad. He has some of the biggest tunnel vision you will ever see. He can be a solid scorer. There is no denying that at all. Over his last nine games, he averaged 14 points with a true shooting of 59%. And his true shooting for the year was 60. That's really good. Decent usage. But absolutely nothing else. I don't think he blocked... Or he blocked one shot for the entire season. His steal rate was pathetic. He averaged 3.1 combined rebounds and assists. Combined. His ability to be a fantasy contributor is nothing. It is just not there unless you're looking for points. He cannot do anything else. This is what we saw from him in college with the Pelicans. I've seen him do it at Summer League, and he did it again here. This is just the profile of who Frank Jackson is as a player, a scorer who cannot provide any value in any other area, and that is not what we look for in a fantasy contributor. Let's look at Saban Lee, who I thought showed some pretty good flashes. It's 20, almost 22. 
Played 48 games, 16 minutes. Only six points, but 3.6 assists in 16 minutes is good. 47% shooting, including 35 from three. Not bad. He barely took any threes, and he's uh, shooting from the line at 69%. Giggity. Was pretty bad. But he showed enough as a second-round player on a two-way contract to make me think, yeah, he should probably be converted onto a full-time deal next year. 33% assist rate is good. 2% steal rate is good. 1.5 block rate is pretty good. Negative 2.2 EPM is uh, rough. Raptor at negative 4.4 is bad. And his LeBron at negative 1.6 is not particularly good either. But, and I don't ever expect him to be a starting caliber player. But I thought towards the end of the year, him and Killian Hayes developed some chemistry together. He was able to do a little bit more defensively and with some of his passing. And if you are in a deeper league, I would expect him to crack the top 250 in the next couple of years and maybe have a top 200 season, not to go too much further than that. Let's bang through these last guys. Scooter Magruder played 16 games with 12 minutes, 10 points, 366th ranked player. Not really sure. Now, he can be an okay player, but knee injuries have really ruined his career. He's 30 years of age. Why would we bother with him again on this team? I just I don't see the point of it. Um, yeah, no fantasy value in him. A couple of young guys we do need to talk about coming up soon, but let's talk about Jilly Lokafor, who played 27 games, 13 minutes, averaged five points, and shot 62%. And 62% from the field is a really good shooting number. But you know, he Mason Plumlee, Elf Stewart, they're both ahead of him, clearly. Uh, I, I don't really see... Yeah, much in terms of a future for Okafor. Great, lucky they signed him to a two-year deal. That was 100% necessary, obviously. Um, so he's on, on the books for another $2 million next year. He still is not particularly old, Jaleel. He's 25, but there's no hope of him becoming a fantasy option. Let's talk about Siku Dumbaya. Re- look bad, bad. 20 years of age, 56 games, 16 minutes, five points on 38% shooting. Bad assist rate, bad steals, bad blocks. Didn't hit threes, hit them at 23%. Now, I'm convinced that Dwayne Casey is not the right coach for this guy. Um, he had some real issues with ruining his confidence last season. He, But not to say that Dumbaya played well, because he didn't. He was a negative 4.8 EPM, which is like it's horrendously bad. It's really, really bad. Um, and yeah, he could obviously be much better than what he is. But... I don't think that Casey is really helping that out. Yeah, I don't think that Dwayne is the right coach for a guy like Dumbaya. And I think Dumbaya will be very much better suited to being on a different squad. Now, all of his advanced metrics are in the toilet. And I'm not saying that Casey should have just been pumping minutes into him. But I think it's some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff. And I just think Casey doesn't like him as a player. Um, And I think that's led to some confidence problems. Do I still have some faith in Siku to become maybe a top 150 player? Yeah. It is waning though. Like it is not it is not high level faith that I think Dumbayar is going to be that player these last two years. And to go backwards in a year like this is pretty disappointing. Tyler Cook. 32 games, 14 minutes, nine fantasy points outside the top 400 for both formats. He shot the ball well as a big man. I'd rather they just give all of Jaleel Okafor's minutes to him, to be honest. I uh, don't know whether they will or not. Cook has a $1.7 million guarantee for next season. He is 27. so he's, uh, tw- No, he's not. He's 23. He'll be turned 24 before next season. But that's, the shooting numbers are okay. But no blocks, no steals, no assists. Rebounds are okay. Uh, he's got numbers very similar to a, to a Jaleel Okafor, a points and rebounds sort of a player. I thought he showed some flashes, though. 
enough to make you think, I, at least we can sort of develop something here. A 67 true shooting is a really good number. His EPM at negative 3.4 is not great. His Raptor at negative 7.2 is shithouse. His LeBron was bad as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to keep him around and just see what happens, but I don't think there is much faith there. While the last guy we're going to talk about is Davidas Cervatis. Uh, 20 games, 7 minutes. Honestly, I think he's the worst player in the NBA. I don't know. Actually, that's not true. I do know why he was signed to a contract because um, the Pistons GM, the uh, Arn Tallum, his son is uh, Savitas' manager. Savitas did not play well in Europe, did not deserve to come to the NBA, and should not be in the NBA at all. It was absolutely a favor, and he's the worst player in the NBA. He's got a guaranteed $1.5 million contract for next year. I guess the good thing is we know Troy Reaver's got no worries with cutting guys uncontracted with uh, guaranteed money. 1.8 non-guaranteed the year after. But this bloke has no future in the NBA whatsoever. Negative 4.9 EPM. It just nothing about what he did was interesting at all, I didn't think. He shot 36% from three, so maybe you count that as interesting, but that's in like 120 minutes. Uh, just one of the worst, if not the worst player in the entire NBA. Guys, let's go through and answer some questions that you guys have again about the... Um, about the Detroit Pistons. David Williams says, are you hesitant to draft Plumlee and Grant next year while the team leans towards younger players? I think Plumlee, yes. I would be really hesitant to draft him. Grant, I'm not I'm not as worried about that one. Uh, I do think that Jeremy will be able to go out there and not have these knee problems. And as I said, if they get some better players in, that we will have, um, maybe that efficiency won't take as much of a hit. Someone's name here is Pisswarm Chongo. Interesting name. Do you think Isaiah Stewart has solidified a starting spot next season? I wouldn't say solidified. I would say he should. And I think he will start the majority of the season, but I'm not 100% convinced in that. If their pick is pick three in the draft, who should they take? I haven't done enough on the draft to say, but to me, at this point, Cunningham and Mobley in one and two, and then it's probably Suggs and Green. So it'd probably be Suggs in that position. Um, let's have a look. Well, uh, question on um, on Instagram. A lot of questions about uh, Alf Stewart. B.R. Rody is Killian Hayes an all-star in five years? I will say no. No. Does Josh Jackson get better from lights, camera, passionate? No, I don't believe he will. Um, and what, num one cat guy, what's Alf Stewart's, I'm not going to say that fake nickname. What's Alf Stewart's dynasty outlook? Again, I think he can have some solid top 50 seasons, but long-term, I don't think that he is a high-end guy and a, a center that necessarily you look at as an all-star caliber player, would be my guess. All right, so that's some questions there about the Detroit Pistons. I'll be back with another show tomorrow where we're going to be covering the Orlando Magic, so stay tuned for that. Don't forget to follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and on Odyssey on YouTube. Hit the thumbs up, leave your comments below, ring the bell. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. See ya.